Christine, I think that is the biggest xylophone I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I don't know how you hold two sticks and play them both. That's uh, amazing. Absolutely outstanding. I'm not coordinated enough for that. <laughs> Good morning, y'all. I'm really glad you guys are here this morning. It's weird to say after being here for four months, but some of you I may have actually never met before, uh, and others of you, I was thinking about it, have probably never seen my face in person before, which is a weird thing in 2020 that exists, but I've never said before, but this is what we're working with, in case you were wondering, and I'm sorry if that's not good, but my name is Evan. I'm the minister to students here at Woodmont, and uh, for the past four months, I've had the opportunity just to get used to Woodmont, be welcomed in incredibly well, and be loved on by you guys. You know, people in student ministry get asked a question all the time. People come up to you and they say, so what do you do? Which is always an encouraging question to be asked. And as I thought about the last four months, I normally try to frame that answer to paint a certain picture so people think I'm kind of serious. But as I was looking back on the past four months, it's been things like buy a bunch of lunches, make students do dumb games, kill scorpions, eat fried chicken feet, read the Bible, sometimes, but a lot of other things, like jumping off of rock walls, most of which, in case you were wondering, was not on my job description when I signed up for this job. Uh, so I don't really know how to answer that question. I don't know what I do, but I know I'm incredibly grateful to get to do it. In particular, I'm incredibly grateful to get to do it here with these students and with these leaders. There is seriously nothing like working in the gospel laboring in the gospel with other people who love Jesus. And we have some good people here, and I'm very grateful to be here. Um, our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 28. It's the very last chapter of the book of Acts, kind of Luke's non-conclusion is what I'll call it. And you guys may remember way back when we started this series, which how perfectly timed of the Lord to bring about 2020 and then take us into the book of Acts in that time. Because if you remember, the point of the book of Acts, the theme of Acts is that the Spirit of God at work in his people as they live out their faith will not be stopped, ever. No matter what happens, the gospel goes forward because the Spirit of God is not going to be stopped when his people are acting out in faith, which is such a good message, message for our time. And it's important to remember the main character in Acts is not Peter, it's not Paul, it's not Timothy or Stephen or any of the other characters we encounter. The main character in the book of Acts is the risen Lord Jesus at work in his people, in and through them. That is the main character in Acts. So we're going to talk about Paul today, but I want, what I want you to remember is that we're talking about Paul because the risen Lord Jesus is at work in his life. That is the person we're looking for in this. So last week, Nathan brought us up to the point where Paul is on a ship with 276 other people. He's finally on his way to Rome, and they get shipwrecked. And we left them floating ashore to a little island, and that's where we pick up today. So Acts chapter 28, we'll start in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. 
when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Pateoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. Now between you and me, actually this is not between you and me, I'm really tired of talking about 2020. I, am I alone in that with anybody else? This year has been insane, and I'm sick of talking about it. I, if I have one more conversation that starts with, so how's working from home? 
or I have this one all the time. So you, are you online in school now or are you back in person now? And the worst part is I'm the one usually bringing up the conversation with people and it's, it's like the words are just spilling out of my mouth before I can pull them back in and I realize it and I'm like, no, stop it, don't do that. I'm so tired of talking about 2020 and I'm part of the problem in that way. But I'm tired of it, not because 2020 hasn't been the weirdest year that I've ever had, it has, but I'm tired of talking about it because I just want it to be done. I don't know about you guys. The difficulty is, as difficult as 2020 might be, as exhausting and anxiety-ridden and uncertain and hope-draining of a year as it's been, most of us are just holding on for 2021, but and I'd hate to be the one to say this out loud in case it was gonna be otherwise, but 2021's probably not gonna be that different, guys. We're gonna wake up on January 1st, 2021, and it's gonna be pretty much the same as December 30th, 2020. I know that might be heartbreaking, but it's a reality. So what do we do when we're left just utterly exhausted, uncertain of what God is up to, and honestly, starting to be distant from hope because disappointment after disappointment just makes it seem far away. Do we have to just kind of resign ourselves to saying, this is the way things are gonna be for a while, we'll figure things out when everything passes? Or does Jesus have something better for us in this? How does a Christian live in the reality we find ourselves in? Acts 28 tells us with bold-faced, situation-changing, gospel-saturated, deep acceptance through faith in God. That is the way forward for us. When we read Acts 28, we're seeing Paul face his own 2020-type circumstances. Nothing has gone as planned. Every turn seems to have a new difficulty to it, and he's starting to lose track of where hope is in all this. But what impresses us most aren't the circumstances Paul finds himself in, but the way Jesus continued to just explode forward in Paul. To, I was talking with Ark before this. He used the word bombastic, and I'm gonna use it here. The way that Jesus is just bombastic through Paul, through every one of his circumstances. The encouragement of Acts 28 is that when we learn to actually press into our circumstances, whatever they may be, through faith in God, then we begin to experience the power of Jesus at work in our lives. So what you and I need most right now, what the world honestly needs most right now, is not for us to be more partisan Christians. It's not, heaven forbid, for more opinions on masks. It is not even for us to be Christians who just find the silver lining in all this or are hunkering down and just waiting for everything to be over. What the world needs most right now, what we need most right now, is more Acts 28 Christians willing to settle down right where they are and get to work in the certainty of the Lord. So what I hope this morning is, by God's grace, and this is something I need to hear more than anybody, guys, what I hope this morning is, by God's grace, for us to walk through this story together, seeing the power of Jesus just oozing out of Paul at every moment so we can float out of here, just glide out of this place today, confident that whatever this season or any other season throws at us, it's just one more chance for us to step deeper into the power of Jesus in our lives. That's what I want to do this morning. And I hope 
you're excited about that. So let's do it. Luke picks up this story today with Paul and his 276 other companions. Important to remember, there's a lot of people with Paul. Drifting to shore on Malta, which is an island just off the coast of Sicily, and it is not huge. You can fit four Maltas and some change in Davidson County alone. Malta is a tiny island, and you can imagine if you bumped into a tiny island, what would you expect the local people to be like? So like Luke and his companions, they're expecting these people to be kind of backwards, maybe suspicious of outsiders, not super hospitable to strangers crash landing on their island. But Luke tells us that they show what he says is unusual kindness. He's astounded by the way they treat them. And I totally get what Luke means. Uh, about 10 years ago now, I'm getting old. About 10 years ago, my dad, a friend and I took our first hiking trip on the Appalachian Trail. And a few days in, my dad hurt his knee and we had to get off the trail in the middle of nowhere, Cock County, Tennessee, and find a way to hitchhike our way back into town. You can imagine I was not super enthusiastic about approaching anybody here, about hitchhiking in their car back to town as a 17-year-old. I was terrified. I expected these people to be about as backwoods redneck as you could be, and I was not sure what we were going to get. But the people there were just incredibly kind to us. Everyone who helped us out was great. Granted, the guy who did give us the lift was on house arrest at the time, but he was unusually kind to us. It was amazing. Drifting ashore on an unfamiliar island with 276 other people is not an appealing circumstance, either for Luke and his friends or for the islanders who now have to take care of these 276 people. But the people of Malta pour out kindness on this shivering, cold, and hungry mass. Now, you would think at this point that Paul would take this as a chance to sit down and breathe for a little bit. He did just go through what is definitely considered a traumatic experience. But Paul, so typical for his character, doesn't stop. And he is so ready always to serve people a little bit more. And so he starts walking around picking up sticks for the fire. And I have to wonder what it must have been like to see this weather-worn apostle deep into old age, just gone through a shipwreck, prisoner of Rome, though he was innocent, still shivering and wet, from the frigid sea and the rain on him now, pull himself to his feet and begin laboring alongside these local people and their kindness to him. Serving people, by the way, a group who was full of known felons and soldiers of the oppressive Rome. Not the greatest crowd to be serving. I love the way James Hastings puts it. He says, when the natives of the island said about the kindling of a fire, Paul helped by collecting fuel. The act was characteristic. The man who had been foremost during the trying experiences of the preceding fortnight is still foremost when the danger is past. The act was characteristic. Guys, Paul at this point must have been physically, mentally, and emotionally spent. Not to mention his circumstances were far from being ideal. But he doesn't let that keep him from finding another opportunity to trust God and serve. And it really does, if we're being honest, it takes some serious trust in God to keep serving in a moment like this, doesn't it? I know it's so easy for us to read the Gospels and be like, oh, Paul, he was so sweet. That was so nice of him to serve these people. But we all know there's nothing nice or sweet, nothing docile or easy about serving other people. 
I'm gonna call out my married couples in the room for a second. Married couples, if you get home from a long day at work, you're exhausted and you see that the sink is full of dirty dishes. Not like the dishes were rinsed once and then we're gonna go in the dishwasher because that is how a dishwasher should work. But like the food is still on the plates and it's still sticking there. It's disgusting, you don't wanna deal with it. If you come home from a long day at work and see that, do you immediately grab a towel with a smile on your face, toss it over your shoulder and go to work? Or do you do the fastest math you've ever done since middle school and calculate how many times you've done the dishes recently versus your spouse? And who really needs to do this right now? It takes some serious willpower, a concerted effort to wash the dishes in that moment. There's nothing light about serving people and that is so far beneath what Paul is going through right here, but our willpower has just a full stop to it. And I don't know about you, but mine comes way before shipwreck. If I'm shipwrecked, I'm sitting down and I'm like, come feed me some food, put my feet by the fire, I've been through a lot today. There's a hard stop to our willpower, and that stop is the moment we find out what is characteristic in us. Paul picked himself up here not as a strong person with sheer determination, but as a weak person with obedient trust in God. He believed his utter exhaustion in this moment was a wide door for God's strength to show up. In the instant Paul acts out in belief, the power of Jesus is tangibly at work in him. And isn't that wild? How powerful is a Christian with characteristic, circumstance-defying, faith-fueled service at their weakest. Y'all, we as Christians should eat exhaustion and fatigue for breakfast. What can our weakness do to us? Jesus just shows up there all the more. 2020 might have run you ragged at this point, and you may feel like there is nothing left for you to give. And the thought of having to like go back to school and then be online again, or the thought of logistics for how you're gonna visit all your family and are they gonna wear masks, are they not? What is this gonna do for the spread? Or even some of you who have been in an assisted living facility for a while and the dull loneliness is just draining on you. The thought of one more thing just takes that last little bit that you even have. Listen, you are not done. Jesus is with you in your nothing leftness. And when you are weak, then you are strong. So we are not afraid of a little weakness as Christians. What we might be afraid of is a not so little snake. In verse three, we see Paul is gathering sticks for the fire. He picks up a bundle of sticks and as he gets near the fire, a frozen snake is warmed up by the fire and bites him. <laughs> I know you probably were not worried about ever mistaking a stick for a frozen snake before today, so I'm sorry, but that is what happens in this story. Paul, serving these people, gets bitten by a snake, and of course the locals think this is clearly a sign that Paul is a murderer, a bad person, because even though he survived the shipwreck, justice has not let him off the hook. It came back to bite him, literally. And the crowd is having the most morbid version of watching paint dry that's ever happened. They're sitting around just watching Paul, waiting for him to swell up and die, and he doesn't. 
Now, there's a lot of debate out there among scholars about whether this snake was really poisonous or not, and it's super fascinating. I'll spare you the details, though. And suffice to say this, uh, first, I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, it's a snake. When I was a kid, my brother and I, who were absolute angels all the time, used to hide rubber snakes in my mom's bed under the sheets or like in her dresser drawer. And she predictably would be really happy with us. But you know what I never heard was my mom pull back the sheets or open up the drawer and go, hmm, I wonder if this is a poisonous snake or not. Can I be near this? Never once did I hear that. I heard the blood curdling scream when she was furious with us, never heard her debate about that because it's a snake. And if you're close enough to a snake for it to bite you, you're too close to a snake. Second though, Luke clearly sees Paul not dying as a miracle and the local people clearly see Paul not dying as a miracle. And who would know better poisonous versus non-poisonous snakes than the local people? If you and I are walking through the Amazon together with a native person and we come across a snake that he tells me to stay away from because it's poisonous, unless you have a doctorate degree in snakes, I'm taking his word for it and staying away. Because for the local, it is life or death to know whether something's gonna kill you. They know better than anybody. So we can say with relative confidence that Paul, shipwrecked, exhausted, and still obediently serving Paul, gets bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake. And I think we can all agree maybe, that this is at least the moment, if not before now, this is definitely the moment where we're going, what's up, God? Why, why is this happening right now? I'm, I'm serving people. I'm going to Rome because you told me to. Now I'm bitten by a snake. Did I do something? Are you mad at me? What is happening right now, God? We all have been in those moments where it seems like just one terrible thing piles on top of another, and it feels like life is just shoving your head underwater and pulling you up for the briefest of gas before going back under. Difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, and if I had to take a guess, you, like me, probably wonder in those moments why God is piling on the difficulty. And we run through the list in our heads. God, I go to church. I try not to do bad things. I try to help people when I can. I provide for my family. I, what, do you, what do you want? What am I doing wrong? Why are you angry with me? Why are you disappointed with me, God? We carry the same line of thinking of these Maltese locals. There are good and bad circumstances, and good people have more good circumstances come their way. Bad people have more bad circumstances come their way. We, like them, have this idea of cosmic justice, this innate sense that things work out that way. So when it seems like we can't escape the bad circumstances, we wonder, why is God angry with me? And listen, yes, there is in the Bible an understanding that we will reap what we sow. And one day, we will see that happen perfectly without the hindrance of sin when Jesus returns. But right now, we live in a world that is headed toward real justice, currently broken by sin. Walking in the gospel of Jesus Christ does not remove us from that reality. In fact, walking with Jesus actually pulls us deeper in, and I would say actually calls us deeper in to the reality of our world. And God's wisdom and profound goodness were allowed to keep persisting in that reality. But what walking in the gospel does do is cement us squarely in the love of God. We are loved by God 
right now through faith in Jesus as much as we will ever be, which is to say, with all of God's heart. That means that every circumstance you find yourself in and you will ever find yourself in is filled to the brim with God's love for you. Strictly speaking for the Christian, there are no good and bad circumstances. There are more difficult and easier circumstances. But every moment just takes us one step deeper into the love of Christ. You know, Paul himself actually told us this much in the book of Romans. Romans 8.1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not less condemnation. Not somehow not as bad condemnation. Not condemnation that's way out there, but for right now, I don't have to deal with it. Uh, Ray Ortland, a pastor that I admire deeply, says that condemnation delayed is still condemnation. And if that's the gospel, then the gospel is no longer good news. But we do not have condemnation delayed. If we are in Christ, we have no condemnation. Which Christian for you means this. Brother or sister, God is not punishing you in the way that you and I so often think. Your difficult circumstances are not God being fed up with you or enraged with you or disappointed in you. That would be condemnation, but you are loved by God in Christ, so your circumstances, however difficult and confusing they might be, are never cold-hearted punishment from God. Now, that may be an extension of God's loving discipline. They may be the consequences of your actions that God is lovingly letting you go through. They may be the shake of the shoulders so God can get your attention in love. But if you are in Christ, praise God, they are never his condemnation. In Jesus, all of our circumstances become the redemptive outworking of God's love in real time. Their opportunity, guys. Luke clearly intends us to see that contrast, the contrast between this good versus bad mentality of the Maltese and the confident faith of Paul in this passage. We don't see Paul crumple and say, why God? Why are you letting this happen to me? What did I do? We don't see him do that. Paul is totally confident in the words he wrote in Romans 8. He shakes the viper into the fire and keeps serving because he's insane and faith-filled. And you know, I'm not the best at being happy about my circumstances. My family will gladly tell you that. But a few times in my life, by God's grace, I've had the privilege of just having this confidence and trusting God with these things. Uh, about three years ago, I had just left a good job with no plan because I felt like God had loved me to do it. I was unemployed. I was had just moved homes. I was very single and very poor. And it was really difficult. It was hard. And it felt like God kept throwing difficulty at me. And I didn't know why this was all happening. And then one day, I'm in the car with a friend driving. And I get rear-ended by... <laughs> just an old bubba with like four teeth, a dog in his front windshield, a pistol tucked in the front of his pants with no permit and no car insurance. And this happens and I remember just laughing in this moment, not like a psychotic break laugh, like, <laughs> of course, why would this not happen? It was a laugh of anticipation because as dense as I am, and I am dense, even I couldn't miss that the Lord was at work in this and that he was doing something here. Our circumstances are an opportunity for God's love to be realer and realer to us. That's the confidence that Paul had. 
After seeing that Paul doesn't die from this poisonous snake bite, the locals naturally make the gigantic leap from he must be a murderer to, oh, he must be a god. Which, how remarkable is that? They didn't know how near the mark they were. Paul was not a god, for sure. But he did have God working in him. The power of Jesus was at work in him, and the locals see this. Paul believed in the love of God toward him, and because of that, he believed that all things work together for the good of those who are loved by God and called according to his purposes. And the people see this in him and think he must be a God. How crazy would it be if the world looked at us Christians in 2020 and said it's characteristic of them that they keep serving? And they look at us and think, are they a God? And we can say, no, it's Jesus at work in me. That's how resilient we should be. And the doors for the gospel were thrown wide open. Paul is taken to the sickbed of Publius's father. Uh, if you don't remember what dysentery is, it was, you remember in the Oregon Trail game probably, you died from dysentery all the time. It's bad, don't get dysentery. So Publius's father is sick with this. He, Paul prays for his healing and it comes, the disease on the island hear about it and come crowding around him. And in a moment just so similar to the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth, it can't be an accident. Paul receives and heals all the disease on the island as they come to him. It's unbelievable, okay? This is from a shipwrecked, snake-bitten, imprisoned old man. How does that happen? It can only happen when a Christian is so thoroughly confident in the love of God for him that his whole life becomes one laughing anticipation for the next way and the next way and the next way that God is going to work all things together for good. That's how it happens. So healed and joyful, the islanders send Paul and his 276 companions off to Rome. When they arrive, there's this moving moment of Christians coming to greet him and encourage him on the way. They come as far as 50 miles. We did the math in the college class this morning. That's twice the distance to Franklin and then some is how far that they came to see him. And Paul takes great courage from this. The Christians know he's headed to Caesar and the whole book of Acts has seemed to be building up to that climactic encounter between Paul and Caesar. But Luke doesn't end the story with Paul's appeal before the emperor. Instead, he ends it in a little home with the house arrested Paul meeting with the Jewish leaders. And we cannot forget that this has been Paul's dream and heart's desire for some time. Getting to Rome and sharing the gospel, particularly with his Jewish brothers, is what Paul had worked for for so long. And here he finally sits down with them. And some believe and some don't. They argue among themselves, if you can imagine that, they dispute, and they leave fighting. And you have to think what crushing disappointment this must have been for Paul. We're witnessing the consummation of years of prayer and work and tears. And with all his heart, Paul longed for his Jewish brothers to hear the gospel and believe. And here he had his chance, and it doesn't work. It's really not the note to end the story on. You know, the Hallmark version would have a lot more hugs and tears and joyful tears and smiles and probably a, you know, overworked, jaded businesswoman moving to a small town to be charmed by a single man. But Hallmark is not real. And the posture of a Christian toward every circumstance in life should always be hope-formed realism. 
After all he'd been through to get here to this moment, it would be just unrealistic for us to think that Paul wasn't disappointed, but he does not let that rob him of hope. And it's hope that takes the final note in this story. Luke writes, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul gets to do what he came to Rome for. It just looks different than what he thought. Hope is not gone here. It's the final note of this story. Guys, 2020 has been a slog of a year, and it won't be the only one like that. That is reality on this side of home. It might be draining every ounce of energy you have. It might feel like God is done with you, or maybe you've been holding on incredibly well for this entire time. Maybe you have been the positive person in your groups, but disappointment after disappointment makes hope seem really far away eventually. That's real, and it is crucial for us as Christians to deeply accept that experience. We do not need to look for some hollow silver lining in all this. That's not biblical. The Bible never gives us hollow silver lining. But let our deep acceptance of this reality be formed within the power of God's love toward us in Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ's love is in you. The Spirit lives in you. That forms how we embrace this. And I cannot say it any better than Paul did in 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. It's like Paul is laughing in the face of his circumstances and saying, what can they do? God has never condemned me, is not punished me. He is for me in this moment. My circumstances, as weak as I am, is an opportunity for God to work here. What can they do to me? Hope is not far away. Hope is near. I do not give up. So church, I believe firmly, and I think that the Bible stands with me on this, that 2020 has flung the doors for the gospel wide open for us. This is not a detour from opportunities to live into the gospel. This is our opportunity to live into the gospel. And it may be the most important opportunity we have in our lifetime. And if we've learned anything from the books of Acts, book of Acts, it's that if Jesus is with us, what in the world can stand in our way? Not even our own sin and weakness can keep him from working. So what will life circumstances do? So let's keep stepping in, into the next thing. Let's keep serving our neighbors in the power of Christ. Let's keep being beacons of unity in the power of Christ. Let's keep being a refuge of hope for a really tired world in the power of Christ. Let's keep pushing forward in the power of Christ and show the world what he can do even now. So we're gonna go into a time of response now and the band is gonna make their, uh, worship team is gonna make their way up. In this time of response, the book of Acts ends with a non-conclusion because it's challenging you and me to decide what we will do. Will we trust Jesus to work regardless and act in line with that, or will we not? That is the challenge Acts gives us in the end, and the confidence we can have 
is that if you bank on Jesus, you are safe. So in this response time, this is between you and God. If you need to spend some time praying and asking God to give you hope in your circumstances, whatever it may be, do that. If you need to become a member of this church, you feel like that has been laid on your heart, Nathan will be out at the south entrance, I'll be out at the north entrance, we would love to talk to you for a minute. If you need to accept Christ for the first time or need prayer, whatever it may be, this is your moment for that. Nathan and I will be at the entrances. Take this time with the Lord. Let me pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we are confident in you because you will not be stopped. May we put our trust in your word because it's good. May the world see your power at work in us so radically that it's unmistakable. May I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.